Welcome to the Livecast Construction Experience Podcast. I'm Kieran Brennan, co-founder of Livecast.com. Finally, the construction sector has entered its digital transformation, meaning the way we operate our projects and businesses day to day is being disrupted. This podcast is designed to help you in all areas of your business. We do this by bringing in experts across all key areas of a construction business who share their stories, their challenges, wins and losses so others can learn from their experiences. To watch previous episodes, please visit livecast.com or search livecast.com across all popular social platforms. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Livecast Construction Experience. Delighted this week to be zooming back across the US and this week to be joined by Eric Anderton. Eric, how are you? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's good. It's good. Let, let's jump straight backwards. I, I like to give people a bit of a bit of context to, to the person behind the business. And where did your relationship with the construction industry begin? Well, it began in 2004. I, um, I went to work for a company uh, that provided a leadership development program. It's an international company. And here where I live in Sacramento, California, my, my first client was a construction company. And I, I don't have a background in construction, um, but I fell in love with the construction industry and construction people. Uh, they're my type of people. They're real straightforward. They're, they're to the point. They're salt of the earth type folks. And um, I just fell in love with construction. That company is still my client today. In fact, I'm going to be going out for lunch with the owners of the company here in the next couple of weeks. And so I, I just, I fell in love with construction. And when I started my own business in 2013, I quickly realized that construction was my key focus. And um, I've spent the last six, seven years focused on serving the construction industry with what I, uh, what I have to offer. Cool. And within that time frame, then you also set up the Construction Genius podcast. Uh, what was the thinking behind that? Why the podcast? It's interesting. I was, I was chatting with, um, the, at the time, the CEO of Swinerton, which is a, a multi-billion dollar construction company um, that's uh, headquartered in San Francisco. He's now the chairman of the board. His name is Jeff Hoops. And I was interviewing him for another project. And at the end of our interview, he said, you know, Eric, you should start a podcast on this. And it's something that had been sort of brewing in my mind, but that, that conversation was sort of the, the final push. And um, so I launched the podcast at the beginning of 2019. Um, we're in, I think, uh, almost 90 episodes so far. So we do an episode a week and just have a great time interviewing folks in the construction business and then also doing solo shows on leadership and strategy and things like that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's an immense learning cycle for me. That's my biggest takeaway from, from kicking off our own podcast is, you know, the, 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 the learnings that I, I take away from just sitting and, you know, speaking to people like yourself that have great uh, knowledge around construction and doing different things to, to what I know. Um, what, is there anything that pops out as like a big takeaway or a big learning since launching the podcast? Um, I, I think you have to be um, playing a long-term game um, with, with podcasts. I don't, I, I'm not, I haven't launched my podcast but, um, as a means to, um, you know, make money directly. It's a marketing exercise. And this is one, this is, I'll tell you my biggest takeaway. It's, um, it is a wonderful way for people to get to know you. Mm -hmm. So when, when people get, when people listen to your episodes and then contact you for, uh, you know, in your case, software, in my case, my consulting services, they, they, they feel that they know you. And, uh, and that's because they do, because they've got a chance to get to know you through the podcast. They get a sense of who you are. And it is extremely powerful in terms of building your brand, 
and allowing people to interact with you in a, um, a non sort of salesy way. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree with that. When, you know, we set out to do this, we said, listen, let's just deal with as a value add tool. Let's not think about it as anything past that. That's if we can provide value to our audience, um, you know, what we do comes absolute secondary to this. So let's just go with that. Um, great learnings in it. I mean, I suppose having listened to your podcast, um, we could have talked about so much in construction. Um, and I, you know, when I was doing my research for this, I sort of said, what, what could I do and sit with Eric and talk about that would provide the best value to our listener base? And listen through podcast episodes, I arrived at this statement on your website. I'll just read this to you. Since 2004, 2004 he being you, has helped his clients increase profitability by clarifying their business purpose, building strategic plans, developing their best people, systematically innovating through obstacles, and executing their most important priorities. And I just think we should dissect that statement, pull it apart, and I think that's going to provide the best value for the time we have with you today. The first bit of it will be clarifying their business purpose. Why is purpose important for a construction company? Um, one of my clients said it very well. Construction sucks, but it's fun. <laughs> and um, in my experience working with construction companies, it's, it's, it's an it's a industry that is extremely difficult. It's extremely risky but it is very rewarding. And one of the keys to being a successful construction company is being able to build a team of people that are committed to what your business is, is focused on. And so when I say purpose, it, it's, it's in response to the question, why do we exist? And so when you think about that in terms of being a construction company owner, the first thing that pops into your mind, obviously, is to make money. And that is 100% correct. Because you know that if you're not making money, you don't have a business. Mm -hmm. But most people have a, a purpose to their business that is, is deeper than making money because we can make money in a variety of different ways. You know, most people living, um, listening to this podcast are going to be in the first world. If you have half a clue and half a brain, you're going to be fine financially. But to go through the, the difficulties of building a business, sustaining a business, working through challenging projects. There has to be a deeper purpose than just making money. And so I work with my clients to help them to identify that purpose by really tapping into what it is that drives them on a daily basis. So one of my clients, the reason he exists, his purpose is to crush the competition. <laughs> and I know, and it's interesting because that's, that's not necessarily something he's going to put on his website. But it's something that deeply motivates him every single day. He's extremely competitive. Um, another one of my clients exists to provide and endure. So it's, it's very interesting. It's something where they, they feel a real sense of responsibility for their employees and providing for their families, but they also want to endure. They just don't want to have a 20, 30-year run and then sell the equipment and shut it down. They want a legacy that's going to pass on from one generation to, to the next. So I help them to identify that purpose because that deeper purpose is the foundation which then drives their operations, their processes, who they hire, who they don't um, allow to stay in their company, um, the clients that they do business with. It's not just a sort of a, a feel-good statement, but it's the, the fundamental foundation that drives how they build their business. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, in, in a lot of other 
sectors, we see a lot of people will put on their website their vision, their mission, and their, the values that, that they like their organization to operate from. I mean, what yeah. relationship does purpose have to say vision, mission, values? Yeah, so the way I look at it is, is um, purpose. I, I have four Ps that I, I teach my clients. Um, purpose, personality, plan, priority. And the reason there's four Ps is just because it's easy to remember. And what I mean by personality is values. So, so the purpose statement is like, is a combination of sort of your vision and mission statement. That's how I look at it. And your purpose and personality or your values are that bedrock. Those are, that is the foundation on which you build all of your operations. And like I said just now, who you hire, who you fire, who you do business with, how you run your business on a daily basis. And those things aren't necessarily things that are, you're going to put on a website. They're not necessarily marketing statements, but they must be, they must be owned by the core leadership team of the organization. And, and they have to be able to stand for those things and really figure out how that then affects how you run your business. Interesting. So, I mean, with all the construction companies that you've come across, what would you say, what percentage of them would you say do operate a purpose-driven business with clear vision and mission? Um, I, I have to be honest. I think it's probably about 20%. Um, and and it's, it, it, the reason isn't necessarily because they don't have a sense of it. It's because they, they haven't really stopped and taken time to clarify it. And, and what, I, what I've found is that most people know the answers to these questions. They know why they exist and they know how um, they should be behaving or their values. They just need some help clarifying it so that um, as a result of that clarification, they can then focus on it and make conscious decisions on the basis of that clarification. Yeah, there, and there is, a, I suppose, an element of a lot of the time, with our clients, uh, a lot of construction business owners become accidental business owners. They're really mm. good at their craft, really good at the trade. And it just, the evolution means that they just end up in this position. And suddenly they've got 10, 15, 20 guys below them. And it's a new skill to be taught. And that's the skill of business. And this is where this all becomes in, into you. I suppose if you are an accidental business owner, how do you go then about developing a purpose-driven business? You, ha you have to stop. That's what you do. And then you have to ask, who, who, which one of my people are all in with me? Okay, so it may only be you. If you have a partner, it's you and your partner. If it's, you know, a couple of your core leaders, and then you just have to sit down and you can do it by yourself or you can do it with some sort of facilitation. And you have to ask that question, why do we exist? And you, you, you don't want to stop at the first answer or perhaps even the second answer, but you really want to be able to peel the layers of the onion. And then when you're figuring out what your personality or your values are, the best way to do that is to do an analysis of your very best employee. And if you're only just starting out, perhaps it's yourself or maybe one or two other employees, but just do an analysis of them and ask, what are the qualities and characteristics that, that make up that person? You know, what is it about them that sets them apart from other employees or, or other folks that are working in your company? And make a list of those and then pick someone who perhaps has worked for you, but they're not a fit in your business. They may be technically competent, 
but for whatever reason, they're just not a fit for you and figure out what is it about them that makes them not a fit in your business and then compare and contrast the person who is a fit with the person who isn't a fit and then begin to think through how does that help us to understand what our personality is or those values, those behaviors that drive the way we do business. Interesting. I like that. We could talk on that business purpose bit probably for the rest of the episode, but let's, 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 let's move through the statement. Building strategic plans. I think a lot of people fall down here. I think a lot of people fall down and, you know, construction companies, give them a plan of a, of, of a project and they'll deliver it. Give them the plan on a business and suddenly it becomes very complicated and very foggy. It's probably the best way I can describe it. Uh, can you describe what a good strategic plan looks like for a construction business? Yeah, I, this, is, this is one of my favorite um, areas of discussion. Um, construction companies don't go out of business because of too little work. They go out of business because of the uh, too much work or the wrong type of work, the wrong projects. So, and this is a 30,000 foot level. If you're going to build a strategic plan, you have to ask and answer these three questions. Right client, right project, right location. If, if you don't know the best types of projects you should be building and the types of clients you want to work with and the locations you want to work in, if you're not clear on that, you've got to stop everything and you've got to get clear on that. Because if you look at the, the jobs in your business that are making money or losing money, if they're making money, they're hitting at least two of those three things, right client, right project type, right location. If they're losing money, they're losing money because you're, hit, you're um, not hitting two or of, of those three things. And the best companies, they know the answer to those three questions and they only do business we, uh, they only pick projects that hit at least two of those three things and most of the time, the three of those three things. Yeah, good. No, I like that. Why should we have, a, have the plan in place? Why should we do this and how often should we review it? Excellent. Um, your plan is a filter. So if you know right client, right project, right location, it filters opportunities in and out of your company because if you've got half a clue and if, if you're a good business, you're going to have opportunities coming at you all the time. And especially when you're perhaps just starting out or beginning to grow your business, your default is to say yes, 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 yes. When in fact, your default should be to say maybe or perhaps even no because it's the projects that you don't take on that allow you to build the strength of your business as opposed to the ones that you do take on that that um, cause you to lose a bunch of money or distract you from the main purpose of your business or the main focus of your business. And so the whole idea of a good strategic plan is to filter opportunities and then to give you a clear idea of what you need to be focused on every morning as you come to work, as you're running the business, working on it, as opposed to just working in it, building the projects. Bring you back then a little step. We asked a question about, you know, percentage-wise on the, on the last uh, piece, I mean, I suppose to bring that into this uh, strategic plan world, what percentage of companies then would you say do this part of it well? I'd say more people do it. Um, uh, and, and, and the reason why, obviously, is because everybody understands the, the, the idea of having a plan in place. 
Um, and particularly with construction companies, because they, they understand the value of, of if I have a good plan on a project and execute it, then that's going to really help me to be more profitable. So I would say it's more, but I, I do think, again, I know, I know many construction companies who, one of the failings of construction companies, and, and it's, it's almost um, an inherent part of the business, is that the ego gets in the way. And that healthy ego is, is good in terms of being able to, to go through all the difficulties of running a business, but sometimes the ego gets in the way when you take on a, a project that perhaps you shouldn't. So I, have a, I, I know a, a construction company who they're, they're based locally in Sacramento and they, they wanted to expand to the Bay because in the Bay Area, San Francisco, which is about an hour from here, there's just so much opportunity. And so they took on a project in the Bay and it was, it was the right project for them but it was the wrong owner and really the, the wrong location because they didn't have a workforce down there to execute the project. And they just bled money because they weren't clear on that strategic plan and they didn't execute it with discipline. They, they kind of got a little bit too big for their boots. And construction, you've, you've got to be able to manage your risk well. And your strategic plan helps you to filter those opportunities so you can manage your risk and build your business slowly over time in a profitable way. Talk, talk about that one then, Eric. I mean, who, let's, let's use that company's example, and it's, it's good to bring sort of real-world example into this. And if, if, if I'm a company today and I'm maybe, you know, maybe it's the COVID situation has made me yeah. consider what my, my location. Maybe I've got to start looking at new markets. Yes. Who in the company, who should be involved in create, creating a solid strategic plan? Um, very good question. So, so if you think about in a construction company, um, you, you basically have four things that you have to do. You have to bid the work, you have to build the work, and then you have to get paid for it or build the work. And in the bidding, I think of the business development and the, um, the estimating. In the building, I think of the, the project management, the planning of the project, and then the field. And then the billing is obviously the folks who chase the money, accounts receivable, accounts payable. So when you're doing strategic planning, in my view, you should have representatives of each one of those areas of the business in the meeting. And you should be able to get their input and their feedback because all of them have something to say about right client, right project, right location. And you want to be able to get their feedback and their input. And you always want to have people in those meetings who have skin in the game. You don't want to just have people in the meetings who are just kind of casual. You're not inviting people to a meeting, a strategic planning meeting to build their morale or as a courtesy. You're bringing people in who really are committed to the success of your business because that's what a strategic plan is. It's, an, it's the answer to the question, how are we going to succeed? And if you, if you keep it that simple, it's going to help you to, to get through some of the complications that often come with strategy. Just keep focused on that one question. How are we going to be successful? Yeah. What does success look like? Yeah, I get it. I get it. We're getting through this. We're getting through this and there's some good stuff coming out. So let's keep moving. The next element of that statement will be developing the best people. That's, yes. this, this is interesting because... I mean, what can construction, construction companies do? The, the, the big talk is always a, a shortage of skilled labor and great labor and great talent. And, you know, it, it's an issue and it travels globally and there's absolutely no question about that. So what can a construction company do to attract top talent to their companies? The, the first thing they can do is to identify their purpose and their values. Um, I really believe that because what, they, what those do is they, they serve as a magnet 
to attract the right types of people and then to repel the wrong types of people. And that includes the right types of clients and the wrong types of clients. So get clear on your purpose and your values so that when you're interviewing people and when you're thinking about bringing someone on, you're, you're able to structure the interview in such a way so that you can ask questions and explore um, what their values are and how they align or misalign with yours. Because the, one of the ways that people fail in construction in terms of hiring and bringing people on is they bring someone on who's talented, but they don't share their values. And as a result of that, there's a disconnect and it has a negative impact on the business. So the first step is to get clear on those, those values. The second step is to look for, look for um, the, the will as opposed to the skill. And what I mean by that is you can develop skill, but often it's difficult to develop will. If someone doesn't want it, in other words, if someone doesn't have that internal drive, it's difficult to get that in someone. You can always develop skills, but will, attitude, in other words, that alignment with your values, you've got to really think about how to get those two things in terms of your interview process, how to identify those two things so that then you can build on those with the skill development as they come into your company. Yeah, that's such an interesting point. So I'm a carpenter by trade, spent many years as a carpenter, and I remember having one of my first bosses saying to me, we can teach you carpentry, but we can't teach you to come in here and work hard. You've got yes. to do that bit yourself. And I yes. remember that, and that's sort of a value, I suppose, that's, that's stuck with me through the years, that that piece is something that's got to be in you, and it's got to be something that you drive, and the other bits of skills um, will come to you and can be taught, I suppose. Uh, so if, if that's how we attract them, we attract this great talent into our company, what about retaining them? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so you know that your best people right now, I mean, I'm, you know, here in the U.S., you know that your best people are getting calls every week from headhunters, from recruiting agencies, maybe from their friends in other companies. Um, and and the, the war for talent is extremely fierce. So the way that you retain them is by staying true to your values, um, making sure that they have an environment where they're allowed to thrive, making sure that you're not allowing the, the negative people um, the underperformers, um, the entitled people to, 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 to get sort of the preeminence in your business, don't allow that at all. Create a meritocracy in your organization where the best players will thrive, will get rewarded, and will understand that they have a future in your business. Because the war for talent is ongoing in construction, it will never end, and you have to be able to set up an environment where top talent will want to stick with you for the long term. Yeah, yeah, fully agree. So, systematically innovating through obstacles. Yes. Let's talk about this one. How can construction companies create an innovative culture within the business? We touched on culture, we touched on purpose. How, how can we create this culture of innovation within a company? And why is that even important? I, I, again, I think what you have to be able to do is you have to identify first what you control and what you don't control. Okay, so for instance, with, with COVID, obviously that's an innovative opportunity for, for construction companies, and it's something that is completely out of our control. So then you have to think about what is it that you do control? Well, you control which projects you bid on, you control how you, um, you build your projects, you control your customer service, 
You can control your materials and sub-management. You can control your quality, your safety, your change order management, your bid strategy, all of these things you can control. So identify what you can control and then ask yourself the question, of all of these things we can control, which is the one that we need to develop or innovate or change? Which needs to get better? And you might ask, uh, you might answer, well, all of them do. Okay, fair enough, all of them do. But you have to have a conversation and ask, which one will have the biggest positive impact if we focus on that in the next, let's say, 90 days? So you identify the area that you want to improve upon. So let's say it's safety. Let's say you need to innovate your safety culture. And safety will have such an extreme bottom line impact upon your organization if you're safer. If you don't have incidences, it affects your insurance. If you don't have incidences, it affects your productivity. If you're a safe company, you're going to be able to attract talent. So how can we innovate safety? So what you do then is you get together that core team again, the people who have skin in the game, the people who have input, and you state the challenge well. And so what I would do, for instance, I would state the challenge in this way. In what specific ways can we improve safety in our organization in the next 90 days? Okay, so I'll repeat that. In what specific ways can we improve safety in our company in the next 90 days? Let me jump in there. Yes, why, please. Why, why 90 days? What's, what's important about setting set a timeline on that? Okay. I like 90 days because it's not too short and it's not too long. So if I say 30 days, it's tough to get a big push started or um, something accomplished in 30 days, generally speaking. 90 days is long enough to begin to get some cycles going, to begin to put some programs in place, to begin to get some movement. If it's longer than 90 days, what can happen is it can reduce the urgency. And so you have to have a sense of urgency when you're innovating, but you also have to have a long enough runway so that you can get some stuff done. Interesting. We've, we've seen a lot of companies here starting to invest in R&D, and it's really interesting to us where we're trying to be proactive to situations rather than being reactive, which our, our, our industry is notorious for is something happens or some other company's doing something and we react to it. And we're starting to see investment going into R&D, which again, it's just, I find it really, really interesting. Has that, have you seen much of uh, that sort of activity going on within construction companies where you've got R&D investment and we're looking at innovation as a, 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 res, a res, resource in the business that being put towards this, this type of stuff? I think it's very interesting. That's a good question. I, I think it has... Construction is, is, is in many ways a very, um, it's a slow to change business. So taking on new technologies is something that, that people do um, almost reluctantly. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason why is because, you know, some guys look at it and say, hey, I've been doing it for 30 years this way. I've been making money. I don't need to make these radical changes. And also because if I take on a new technology, that's going to cost me some money. My margins are thin as it is at, at the moment. Um, and so there needs to be sort of a mindset shift. So uh, let, me, let me answer it in a couple of ways. Some folks, what they do is they have the cash necessary to be able to go through the R&D and to try stuff such as offsite construction, you know, doing some manufacturing offsite, some assembly offsite, all that kind of stuff, which is really, really vital. Other people, you know what they do is they kind of sit back and they watch and they see the other company make some mistakes and go through the ups and downs. And then they swoop in take the learnings that that company already has and begin to apply them. So there's a company in, in uh, America called Katera. I don't know if you've heard of them, 
but they're an offsite. They're a, they're an um, an offsite construction company. They do a lot of stuff offsite. They've attracted a lot of money. Um, they've had some challenges, and I get the sense from some of the larger GCs who do have some cash. They're kind of watching Katerra, see the kinds of mistakes they make, and then learn from them so that they themselves can do some innovation without perhaps bleeding as much money or having as many challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting space. I mean, I'm massively interested in offsite myself. And- uh, there's a lot going on, isn't it? It, it? it has to be the way it moves, isn't it? And, and I suppose the the early adopters will lose money, but um, you know, yeah. there is there is some guys that are getting quick out of the blocks, and that that's that, that it's, it's going to be interesting to see see that develop. Um, yeah, I think I just just I just want to say this. I do think that that the mindset of construction companies is shifting, and what's interesting that the 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 folks who drive it are generally the specialty contractors or the subcontractors as opposed to the general contractors, because the subs are always looking for ways to improve, um, whereas the, the GCs are more concerned about what the owners think, whereas the subs are more concerned about getting stuff done quicker and better so they can make more money. It seems like that's kind of a dynamic there. Yeah, yeah. And, when, you know, it, it would, with change comes innovation, and there's not, we're definitely going through a change period. There's, there's no question. So I'd be interested to see what sort of innovation uh, spins out of this. I mean, one is I suppose the the acceptance to meet online. That's been a big one for us here. As we when we're obviously based here in Ireland, but we're so open now communicating with our some customers in in Australia. I mean, we're doing this with you across the US, and this just seems to be like, such a short time, such an openness to to want to communicate with with people online, which which has been great. The final piece of your statement is executing. Their most important priorities. Yes. This is interesting because yeah, I'm going to go back to my my days running my own uh, company, and I'd set out. and I remember my my wife now girlfriend at the time saying, "Why don't you list down before you go to bed? No, write down what what you need to get done, and you'd be be much much better." And I'd say, "Yeah, that's a really really good idea. I'm going to write down before I go to bed what I need to get done the following day when it's clear in my head, and then I just get up and I'll execute against that list. That's my plan. That's how I'm going to approach this." And then sometimes I swap to a model where I get up just an hour earlier in the morning. So I'd be getting up, say, 5 a.m. And I'd say, okay, let's just take a, take a minute here just to, to set out my day. And then I'm going to execute against the plan. And then I'd get to the job site. And then I'd get, get, get to, the, to the workshop. And the phone would go. And the problems would start coming in. And then the whole day would just turn to chaos. And then at the end of the day, I'd get frustrated because I didn't execute the plan. So I'm really interested to, to, to talk to you on this particular one, is executing um, most important priorities. How can a, how can construction operators ensure that I suppose we are executing against our most important priorities? Okay, so let's just take it from the point of view that you just described. There, I'm running my construction business. Um, the the one thing that I would say is you have to get good at doing two things. You have to get good at creating time blocks for yourself to be able to focus on that most important priority. And you have to get good at saying no. Mm-hmm. So you, you have to create that time where you can have uninterrupted focus on the issue that you're facing. And you have to say no when people are trying to take that time away from you through their, um, you know, what they want you to do, you know, through their, their, what's their priority. And so if you can do those two things, then that'll make you way more productive and able to execute on that. And so what you have to do also then is you have to understand the rhythm of your day. 
So for most construction companies, uh, company owners, it begins right out of the gate. You're getting emails, you're getting texts, you're getting phone calls as guys hit the job site, as they're on their way to the job site. And so perhaps that's not the best time to set out a time block. But perhaps by one or two o'clock in the afternoon, um, things have settled down a little bit and you can then set aside that time to focus on your most important priority. And really what this whole thing is, um, the question this is driving is that if you as the owner of your business really struggle to do that, it tells me that either you don't have self-discipline or you don't have the right people in place to do stuff in your company so that you can focus on higher level tasks. And so you have to first discipline yourself and then you have to focus on developing people so that you can set aside those time blocks of 60 to 90 minutes to work on your most important priority. I think that bit there is key. Uh, just going by my own experience, I, how I figured this out myself going back is I remember writing down a list of everything that I'd done on a day-to-day. And then I remember allocating time to it about how long I, t- I think it took me to do them tasks, let's say, on a, on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. And I realized that the energy that I put into the business of 50 to 60 hours per week was not generating the highest value in terms of what I could offer that business. And then I just started to scratch off what wasn't important. And I ended up with absolute top five priorities that I needed to get done on a week-to-week basis. But what I started to, 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 to do is I started to break that down into what's the, what's the company goal this year? What are we actually trying to do as a company? There's a goal. Break that down into quarters. What's, so what do I need to do each quarter to achieve that particular goal? And break that down into monthly targets. And then if I don't hit my goal on a particular day, I know I've still got a, a lot of time to catch up. So then I yes. started to get de-stressed and say, okay, we had a bad day, cool, let's pick it up tomorrow. We have a bad day, let's pick it up next week. And you know, we started to get focused, but I think that is absolutely key. And doing an audit on what you do for your own business on a day-to-day can be a great starting point and understanding, should I be doing that? And questioning, do I actually need to be the guy in the business that does that particular task? Fully agree with you. I mean, you touched on, on something there. With I, I just want to bring it back because I think it's interesting. I mean, do you think... I suppose, let, let me rephrase this. In five years' time, how do you think the construction industry will look back on, on COVID? Five years' time from now? Yeah. I think that there will be, um, I, I do think that the ad- adoption of technology will, be, will increasingly um, occur. I, I think in terms of, of people using software to, to make their businesses more efficient, um, doing off-site manufacturing is, is going, and, and off-site construction is going to increase. Um, the increased use of, of machines on site that is going to reduce the need for, for labor is just going to keep going because, because what they're always going to be focused on is we want to do this safer, we want to do it quicker, and we want to be able to do it with higher quality. And if we can develop the machines or the robots or whatever the case is to be able to do that or the software to do that, then that's always going to be the drive. And it, it's incrementally happening. Um, I would say in 10 years' time, it's, it's going to really have a huge impact. And what I think you'll find also is a, um, a consolidation of all of these different technologies and means and methods into a, a few large players that are going to really be um, the, the gold standard for construction companies. And those are the ones that are going to be driving this technology and the innovation um, as we move forward. Yeah, I agree. I think we're going to look back on, on, on this particular period and 
and I mean, I've said this on the previous podcast, but I, I think the, a lot of the ways we operate are built on from a systems that we've inherited from a previous generation that I actually think are just yes. outdated now, and we're just gonna just gonna it's time for change. This is the we needed we needed a, we needed something to tell us a change. I think that this could be it. A lot of companies put let's call it bullshit on their website, um, but yes. you have put a statement on your website that you do. Uh, Help your clients increase profitability by clarifying their business purpose, building strategic plans, developing the best people, systematically innovating through obstacles, and executing their most important priorities. And you've displayed here in the last 30 minutes that you definitely know what you're talking about in terms of them particular subjects. Eric, where can people learn more about you and in particular the Construction Genius podcast? Uh, yeah, just go to constructiongenius.net. And then you can go to my website, ericanderton.com. Um, if you want to take a deeper dive into these topics that we've covered, um, I have um, a four-part series from um, episodes 77, 79, 81, and 82 that dive into purpose, personality, plan, and priority. And it's what I call my triangle one-page plan process. So if you listen to those episodes... Um, I'll be publishing transcripts of them very soon. You'll really get a great idea of how to go through that planning process that I've kind of been describing. And if you invest two hours of your time in those episodes, it'll really, really help you to get a deeper understanding of how to build that one-page plan. Great stuff. Eric Anderson, thank you very much. Appreciate your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on the show.